This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard, yeah, we're back to back. As you guys know, programming now, we move Monday show to Tuesday. But we're here today. Got to break down a basketball game that, uh, you know, didn't go the way we wanted. Before we even get cranked up, let me just tell you this. Uh, we didn't get cheated. We didn't. Uh, I've seen some people complaining about officiating. I thought officiating was actually pretty good last night. There were a couple of missed calls both ways, and I think you can live with that. Uh, there was one situation where I thought Cissé got a, a clean block and charged him with a foul, and it was a different dynamic. There was a time I thought Cam Matthews got hit with a foul. There was a little ticky-tack. Uh, but listen, that wasn't the difference in the ball game. It wasn't. State played sloppy at times in the ball game. State played uninspired at times in the ball game. Uh, I, th- I thought we did some things trying to force the ball into the paint in the early going. Tried to get a little bit cute, uh, some high risk passes, and we turned the ball over. And there were other times Ole Miss just simply played really good defense. And so, yeah, I just want to kind of get that out of the gate because I know a lot of people listening is like, hey, we weren't treated fairly. I didn't think that was the case at all. And I thought offensively at times we played really, really well. There were other times that it was a real struggle. And some of that is, again, you give credit to Ole Miss for making some adjustments. There were some times defensively we did some things that didn't make a lot of sense. But these were two very well-coached basketball teams. It played a very well-executed game for the most part. But, uh, yeah, some crazy things happened in the ball game, and we lost. And we knew – we talked about this yesterday. We knew that Ole Miss wasn't a great shooting team. We knew they weren't a great rebounding team, but they simply find a way to win, especially at home. And that's exactly what happened. It played out just like the numbers suggested it would. I thought that we would have a better chance of, of holding them down a little bit uh, defensively, I thought we would be able to limit their scoring a little bit, but there were some stretches there. I think there was one one stretch where they were 11 of 13. I mean, it was just you know wide open look after wide open look, and you know we're a program under Chris Jans that kind of calls defensive play kind of our calling card, and we didn't play elite defense last night. There were some times we played well, but there were some other stretches we just simply could not get a stop. And there were other times we did get a stop where Ole Miss still had a wide-open look. Uh, so the team that played better won the game. It's as simple as that. Can't blame the officials. Can't blame the, uh, you know, the student section for throwing things, which is kind of what Ole Miss does. But, um, you know, I know people were begging for a tech. You don't get a tech just after one instance. But, uh, but be that as it may, Ole Miss beat us. Simple as that. Hey, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Maybe we get in there tonight and have dinner. Maybe. Maybe we can talk to Brian into doing that, get out of the house a little bit. Uh, but Bulldog Burger Company, a great place to go for an evening out, whether it's a night out with friends, a night out with family. You can have the adult beverage. You can have uh, the glass of wine. You can have a chocolate shake. Whatever 
you have a craving for, they can take care of for you. I, I love the great restaurant quality hamburgers that are available to us at Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, I, I've had them all. I've had everything on that menu at some point. Uh, and that's part of the deal, right? You, you want to go in there and kind of enjoy not just your favorites, but sometimes you find new favorites by exploring a little bit. As I always say, if it's your first visit, have the Bulldog. That's the way to go. It's a good way to get started. And then begin to kind of venture out and be a little more adventurous, maybe in your subsequent visits. But, uh, you know, the BLT salad is my favorite of the salads. It's so substantial proportion-wise. It's one, There's a lot of things out there portion-wise, pardon me. There are a lot of people out there that are charging you a little bit more and giving you a little bit less. I, I just think that's unethical, and I understand everybody's got, you know, a business to run, that sort of stuff. But Bulldog Burger Company, there is integrity in pricing, you guys were, you know, goodness, it's a, almost four years ago now that the uh, COVID ep- epidemic was on us, and there are still some people that are still charging you those fees, you know, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I love the fact that there is some integrity in what they do at Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, it's a great place to go. You put your feet under their table, you're going to get great food at a great price and get great service and a great atmosphere. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Uh, go in there and let them know that you're there to have the spring rolls as your appetizer because they'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's as simple as that. Trust the science. It's in writing. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk a little bit about this game. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Anytime that you lose to Ole Miss in anything, right, it's, it's, it's tough. It really is. But I don't walk away from this game feeling like there's a big difference between the two teams. They held serve. They made some big plays late. And we made some bad plays late that kind of uh, aided in our own demise here. But, uh, yeah, State gets off to a great start here. I mean, you come out there and you get you get the layup from Cam Matthews. I thought Cam was really good again. Some late moments maybe didn't go the way we wanted. And uh, you look up and – State's got a 5-3 lead. You, know, you, you get J- Josh rolling to the paint, gets the N1. It's a guy that's 5 nothing, And then uh, Juju Murray knocks down a three. But you start working through this, and you could tell this was going to be one of those games, right? It was probably going to go down to the final minute, and that's exactly what happened. But State, for the first five minutes of this ball game, State pretty much kind of controlled things. And then right around that 15-minute mark, Ole Miss kind of got it going. You know, again, State gets a small early lead. Ole Miss just kind of hangs in there, and they kind of figure some things out. And uh, It's just, you know, kind of nip and tuck for a while here. Uh, we didn't do a whole lot in the post, and that's disappointing too. And, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't think Tolu looked healthy last night. I don't know what he's dealing with, nor are they ever going to tell us. <laughs> but uh, he didn't look 100% last night. He didn't. Now, some of that's got to do with the fact, too, that Ole Miss did a really good job kind of uh, de-emphasizing him for us. It kind of took him away from us as an option. But you could tell early on we were trying to run the offense through him. Just simply couldn't get it going. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's a combination of Ole Miss playing good defense and maybe totally not being 100%. But uh, T.J. Caldwell rams home a three here to give Ole Miss a three-point lead right at the 12-minute mark. State battles back here, and we retake the lead on a Cam Matthews layup. And then there was kind of a uh, – kind of a lull offensively for both teams. 
Eventually, after a couple free throws, State has a four-point lead right at the nine-minute mark. You know, like, okay, maybe State's kind of weathered a storm here, and then Josh Hubbard pulls up and just nails a three on the break to make it a 27-20 game, and it looked like State was about to maybe get some separation in the game. Matthew Morrell, who has had some challenges this year, he answers with a three just around the six-minute mark to make it a four-point ball game. And then Hubbard goes right back down there and says, you know what, hey, anything you can do, I can do better. Makes another three-point basket. And now you're thinking, okay, State's got a really good chance to get into the intermission, you know, with a lead. Matter of fact, State was up by as many as seven after a Deshaun Davis layup at 323. Again, seven-point seven lead here, and you think, okay, we manage our possessions right. We will absolutely get in there with lead. And then it's called well again from long distance. To cut it down to four, State takes it back out to six. And, again, you're just kind of nursing this thing along here. And all of a sudden you look up, and uh, it's a tie ball game with a minute 43 to go. And, again, it's a Matthew Morrell three-pointer. Uh, and that's big for Ole Miss to kind of get him going because he, he has been very up and down this year. But he had a good night last night. Despite the fact the game had pulled even, State continued to battle Hubbard again with a basket, and it's an and-one situation. So State's up three now with under a minute to play, and it's Matthew Morrell again just kind of driving to the paint, elevating there in traffic, knocks down the basket. Sean Jones with a nice layup, puts State up three, and then this was an important sequence, I thought, on the final shot of the half. It's pretty transparent what they're going to do. I mean, do you think Juju Murray's going to give that ball up right there? Absolutely not. They run a very basic concept, right? I mean, worried man, defense here, what do they do? They just give you that that high screen, and he comes off of it, and he's got that quick release, and he knocks down from top of the key. I thought that was a very big basket. And everybody's like, okay, well, we're even on the road. We're okay. You know, what bothers me the most about that particular sequence is it wasn't good defense. And again, it's very obvious what they're doing. You know, it's not like a situation where they're, you know, running all this Princeton backdoor cuts and there's all this traffic. It's a pretty simple concept. Just give that high ball screen at the top of the key. Murray comes around it, basically makes this thing a four-man game. And uh, big, big shot for Ole Miss to pull, pull everybody even here. But, uh, again, I thought we really kind of fell asleep here during that sequence and allowed them to pull even and kind of get the cloud back into it, crowd back into it, pardon me. But um, really felt like in a, in a game that we expected to be nip and tuck, that was the defensive possession where we kind of lost track of what was happening around us. And then I, I felt like, hey, you know, we got to get survive these first five minutes from Ole Miss. And to give them credit, they came out ready to roll and uh, push this thing out to a, a 10-point lead here. I mean, it, it seemed like the entire – first five minutes of the second half that it was everything Ole Miss wanted to do. Uh, they were getting clean looks. They were making big shots. And, again, T.J. Caldwell kind of caps the run there uh, to make it a 10-point game with a three-pointer at 15-18 to go in the game. Uh, Toluca makes one or two from the line, and then you know, you're, you're not going to catch up like that. They take it back out to 11. Uh, and it, we trade baskets a little bit here. Deshaun Davis begins to rally us back. And I, I thought State kind of woke up here – and began to kind of find a semblance of some flow on offense. But Caldwell, a guy that, you know, again, just you know, not expected a lot from him. What was he averaging, five points a game? He's one of their better players last night. And, and for a while there, he just simply couldn't miss. But at the 14-minute mark, you know, State is down 11. 
And it really felt like, you know what, this is could be a game that gets away from us here in a hurry because we were struggling to get stops. We were struggling to kind of make things happen on offense. And it really felt like everything we did was just kind, kind of on hustle. Like there just wasn't a lot of clean execution here. Sometimes we just beat them to the spot. We played hard. Both teams really did. But then State begins to make a run here. And, again, it wasn't just a matter of, the, you know, hey, we're just out scheming them here. There were some times we kind of out-athleted them. And that's what's going to happen in SEC ball games. At times you're going to have plays uh, that go your way and plays that don't because sometimes they're just better or they beat you to the spot. This is two very evenly matched teams, you know, playing on Ole Miss's home floor. But it's a very entertaining ball game for those of us who don't have an emotional investment. But uh, I thought Deshaun Davis really got hot here for us. You know, he hit the big three there. Uh, Cam Matthews, I thought, Really was excitable again. Cam, there just seems to be a real sense of urgency with him right now. And you need your leaders at this point in the season. But uh, Deshaun Davis makes the layup and then converts the uh, the three-point play there. And then next thing you know, Cam Matthews gets a rebound on the other end uh, after a turnover. Ends up with the ball in his hands. And he just goes coast to coast. And it's just that heave. And I thought that was one of those emphatic, emotional points in the ball game, And it really ignited the state bench. You go down, you get a stop, Brakefield misses. And uh, we go down, we have a chance, hey, a chance to pull it to three here. And then Hubbard misses the three. The ball goes in and out. They immediately go right back down and Juju Murray again. And he was really the, the straw that stirred the drink here, right? He was. After a uh, foul by Tolu Smith. Juju goes back to the line, makes both free throws. It's now back out to a 10-point game. And it really felt right then, I even turned to the wife and I said, this thing is over. This thing is over. It just felt like Ole Miss had all the momentum. The crowd was in the ball game, And, again, everything State was doing offensively was really more about individual performances. At times you get a nice screen from somebody, but it just seemed like things were just so incredibly herky-jerky for us offensively. And all that said – Pretty good offensive output for us, especially down the stretch here. Again, you look up, it's 60-50 to 50 at the 12-minute mark. There are a lot of points scored because neither team could really get a stop, play good defense here. Brakefield misses a three. Next thing you know, State kind of trades possessions. We start kind of kind of finding a way back into this. And Shaquille Moore got hot for us, uh, makes a basket here. Then Caldwell answers, and then it's Shaquille Moore with a big three to cut it down to seven. You look up at the nine-minute mark, it's Cam Matthews again. Big heave down low. Guess it's a six-point game. They take it out to eight. We're coming right back. And it's like all of a sudden we're just kind of chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And then you look up here at just at the, right around the six-minute mark, and State's down two. And you're thinking, hey, if we just get a stop here, we got a chance. After the Hubbard three there, we just need to go get a stop. But instead, it's Matthew Morrell answering. And that, that's kind of how this game was. It was like a boxing match. When one team would deliver a big blow, the other one would respond. 5.14 to go. Cam Matthews with another dunk. Cuts it to a one-point game. And then we get a stop. Matthew Morrell misses the three-point basket here. And so it's like, okay, here, okay, down one with the ball on the road. Right around four minutes. We got a chance. Got a real chance here. But instead, we miss a shot. We end up fouling. Matthew Morrell knocks down both free throws. But Deshaun Davis, again, just refused to go away. 
And, uh, you know, with Josh Hubbard now in the starting lineup, Rams Davis coming off the bench now, I think that combination worked well for us last night. I think Hubbard needs to be out there. He's a volume shooter. Kind of get him going early, you know, when the game is still, you know, in its infancy. But, again, every time that we would climb back into this thing and be within a basket, Ole Miss had an answer for us. They simply did. And uh, I thought that the big three-pointer from, from Juju Murray right there at the three-minute mark to take it out make it a two-possession game was very, very significant. And every time they needed a big shot, it seemed like Murray had it down the stretch. All that said, after Deshaun Davis's three-pointer with 118 to go, State is just down two. You just got to get a stop, and we don't. We give up a layup and uh, defensive laps right here. I don't know if we over-pursued or not, but it seemed like we had three defenders around the ball and nobody took the back cut, and Brandon Murray lays it up and in, makes it a two-possession game now under a minute. Deshaun Davis, again, refuses to relent here. Uh, another nice play for him, cuts it to two, and again, you just simply need to stop. Well, here we go. Juju misses the three, and um, you got a chance. You got a chance here to make something happen. But instead, State did not score the rest of the way. And uh, Cam Matthews you know, steps to the line there you know, after we have an opportunity. And we just need to make two free throws to tie the game, force overtime. You missed the first one. We call timeout, bring in Jimmy Bell and Tolu thinking, okay, we're going to miss this thing on purpose. And then we airball the free throw. I mean, it just kind of negates everything you plan there. And that's a senior, right? And I'm not going to sit here and just beat up on Cam Matthews because Cam is so incredibly important to this team. But uh, that's a big sequence right there where I need my senior to come through. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F 
www.yofficial.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Ole Miss, of course, gets a couple late free throws, puts the game away 86-82. And again, the team that played the best and executed the cleanest won the ball game. Let's look inside the numbers a little bit here. Not the night we expected for Tolu Smith. You know, Tolu had a big game against Ole Miss last year. Uh, but it was uh, Josh Hubbard, again, 21 points, got the start, 33 minutes. And many of you were like, why do we ever take him out? Well, he's a human being. At times, he's got to go get a Gatorade and – Rest his legs for just a little bit. He's a competitor. He wants to be in the ballgame. But uh, 7 of 15 from the floor, 3 of 7 from beyond the arc, and a perfect 4 of 4 from the free throw line. A lot of people thought Hubbard should have taken the last shot. Uh, the way Cam was played, I was kind of okay with it. Plus, you know, Cam's a guy, too, that can kind of fight through contact. And you begin to think about it. He gets that ball up and on the rim. Then it's a three-point play opportunity. Uh, so I, I didn't have any quarrel about Cam taking the final shot. Matter of fact, you know everybody in the arena was expecting Hubbard maybe use him as a decoy there. It's not like Cam didn't have a good look, and Cam did get some contact there. Uh, but 21 points on the night for Hubbard. He also handed out seven assists and zero turnovers. Great night facilitating for him. Also had a steal, four rebounds. Cam Matthews, the aforementioned Cam Matthews, 33 minutes, 8 of 11. Missed all three free throws. Pulled down a dozen rebounds, had 16 points, and uh, for the most part played well without fouling. Just three personal fouls last night, and one of those I thought was kind of ticky-tack. He also had four turnovers, and some of that too was just around that traffic in the paint. We just we, we couldn't get it in there clean. We couldn't get that entry pass in clean. There were times that Tolu, both, Tolu and Cam both had trouble kind of getting their hands on it. Uh, Shaquille Moore, 
Uh, really nice game for him. Didn't pull down any rebounds, but uh, 14 points and a pair of steals for him. You get that level of play. I mean, if we always need the third score. State actually had four last night. Uh, but Shaquille, really nice game for him. Tolu Smith, two of five from the floor, five of seven from the line, seven rebounds, nine points. You know, we had a ball game here recently that we won with uh, Tolu going to double figures against Auburn. And we were fortunate to win that game. And then we don't do it here. You know, and that's the thing you can kind of live with. It's like, you know, with Steve, we totally didn't have a big game. You still had four other players with double-digit scoring. So it's not like the, the offense was stagnant. Again, there, there's always going to be some ebb and flow. But the fact that you have four fit, four players in double figures, you feel like you've got a good chance to win this ballgame. And we did. We just didn't close it out, and Ole Miss did. Uh, DJ Jeffries. Pretty good game defensively at times, but um, even when they put him on Juju, I, I thought DJ, I don't know if he was just worried about getting beat off the bounce. There were a lot, there's a lot of room for him and just three points, uh, one three-point basket uh, for DJ. Deshaun Davis mentioned about him coming to be the first guy off the bench. In 16 minutes of action, he had 15 points. And much of that down the stretch when State simply had to have it because we decided to go with a smaller lineup. There were times down the stretch you look up and Jimmy Bell and Tolu Smith are both on the bench. And you run this uh, – basically Cam Matthews out there and then four guards. That's basically how it looks. And uh, State was able to make some things happen. And, and I agreed with uh, John Sungvold last night when he made the comment about, you know, this lineup has been scoring pretty much at will. So, what, you know, why change it up? You know, I think that was a good thing for us. But, um, you know, second half shooting – for both teams, it's really, really good. But, you know, State shot 53.6% and then right at 45% from the three-point line. If I had told you going into that, hey, you're going to shoot north of 50%, you're going to ram home eight threes, f- five of those are going to come in the second half, and then you're 70% from the line, you'd think we'd won the ball game. That's what you'd think. As a team, we turned it over 15 times. Ole Miss did a much better job taking care of the basketball, turning it over just seven times. And that was really the difference in the game. I mean, you look up here and you say, okay, it's 86-82. I mean, goodness gracious. And you start looking at, uh, you know, these points off turnovers. Guys, 18. Ole Miss had 18 points off our 15 turnovers. You take care a little little better care of the basketball, it's a much different day-to-day. It is. And on the flip side, State only had – Four points off all missed turnovers. It's kind of how funny that statistic works. When you don't turn it over a whole lot, you don't give up a lot of points off turnovers. Uh, so give Ole Miss some credit here. State with 44 points in the paint. Ole Miss with 32, which is interesting considering the fact that we didn't do much uh, with Bell and Tolu. We were getting to the rim at times with impunity, but it was really the guards kind of slashing in there. Uh, Ole Miss with just three fast break points. State with just five. You would think a game like this, you'd have a bunch of stuff in transition. You really didn't. State did a really good job on the glass. We expected that. State with 38 rebounds. Ole Miss 25. If, if you found out we're going to be plus 13, and with the shooting percentages, you'd say you won. And, again, that's the thing about this Ole Miss team. You look at the numbers, and the numbers don't necessarily compute, but the only numbers that matter are points. You say, hey, but, Steve, you know, we shot it better. and we did. Yeah, we did. We did. We shot it better. But you know what? They also had 12 three-point baskets. 
They shot it 30 times. We, we, we converted 8 of 18. They let it fly. They did. And then 10 of 13 from the line for them. And down the stretch, 7 of 9 for them. And so, again, you can look at free throw shooting. You can look at uh, you know, ball possession. You can look at turnovers. And it's evident why we lost the game. And there were times during, I guess, in the middle part of that, uh, that run to end the first half, it just felt like Ole Miss was about a half step quicker to every loose ball. And there were times that you know, the ball was rolling loose there, and you think, okay, we've got it. It's like we just couldn't get our hands on it. But uh, they win the ball game. And, uh, you know, you're not going to sit here and listen to me cry about it because I'm not going to. But the, the reality of it is, is this is a game that we should have been able to get, should have been able to execute at a higher level, and we didn't. And Ole Miss did. And maybe that's not what you want to hear, but that's the reality of the situation. Ole Miss simply outplayed us, and they were four points better than us. There's not a call that you can look at and say, well, this call changed the complexion of the game. No. What changed the complexion of the game is that Mississippi State did not execute at a high level, and when it mattered most, Ole Miss did. And again, the thing that just drove me crazy down the stretch is how many open looks they got over and over and over and over and over. And they do a lot of that inside-out stuff, right? I mean, they work it inside to try to get the open look because as the defense kind of collapses into the post, they just dish it all back out. Pretty, pretty incredible when you think about it. But, um, you know, Jamin Brakefield, uh, 10 points last night. Uh, T.J. Caldwell, 18. Matthew Morrell with 20. Jalen Murray with 21. You know, what's interesting about all that stuff, too, is uh, that's not post players. It's not. Guard play. And uh, big win for Ole Miss, obviously. And uh, it's not just a rivalry game. Of course, you know, these, these are two teams we expect to get in the tournament. But I'll tell you this. State's got to get this road thing figured out. And uh, that's not a hot take. You all see it. We all, we all know it. And then we got to go to a place that's been very difficult for us to play uh, this Saturday as we go to Coleman Coliseum over in Alabama. But, uh, again, I'm going to encourage you to. I know, like, losing to Ole Miss always takes quite the emotional toll on our fans, and it's vice versa. I mean, it's the nature of a rivalry. But in no way do we need to get off the bandwagon here. You know, and every single time that we feel like we're in trouble, right? I mean, we've talked about this recently. Every time that we like we lose that bad game to South Carolina, which looks better in hindsight now, because I really thought that South Carolina loss would be one as we look back and say, this is a disaster. They beat Tennessee last night. But when we lose to South Carolina, we start thinking, okay, here we go. We responded and we beat Tennessee. Like, okay, all right. Cool. Then we lose that game in Florida on the road, a game that we felt like we had to have to get a split last week, and then we beat Auburn. So I'm not forecasting that we're going to beat Ole Miss, excuse me, beat Alabama this weekend after losing to Ole Miss, a game that we felt like we should have been able to get. I think you're going to look at this Alabama game, and, you know, we're going to probably come out there and play with some ferocity. And uh, we need some Bulldog fans to be there. And it's so interesting, too, uh, reading some of the comments from some of the Ole Miss folks out there that – we might have had a couple hundred at the game last night. And I don't know what that's about, right? Uh, it's not, not that big a trip. I know a lot of people are like going to Oxford. But uh, there was a big push from some of our, our people to, hey, let's go down there and have a lot of Bulldog fans at the ball game. It doesn't appear we had many. Uh, but, yeah, got to turn it around quickly. Alabama this weekend. And you turn around and uh, you, you host Georgia. So next time at Humphrey Coliseum uh, for the men will be 
February 7th, and then you go to Missouri. So next week needs to be a two-win week for Mississippi State, regardless of what happens on Saturday. You know, of course, we'd love to be able to go in there and beat Alabama, and I think we can play with Alabama. But, uh, we have, again, until we prove that we can win on the road, how can you project us to take that? I mean, you feel pretty good about that Missouri game there in a couple weeks, but or next weekend, excuse me, but the bottom line is this. State is 0-5 now, 0-5 in true road games. And I didn't think the atmosphere bothered us. I didn't think that was the case at all. But we've got to figure that thing out. There were times, of course, the game sped up on us a little bit. I didn't think the crowd was really a factor for us. I think it was very much a factor for Ole Miss because it seemed like every time they let one loose, you could just kind of hear the anticipation of that ball going through the net building. And I think Ole Miss really rode the wave of positive momentum from their crowd. And, uh, you know, that's the, the better part of this thing. It's not so much the fact that you make it difficult on your opponents. You make it a better experience for your team. I thought Ole Miss did a good job with that last night. And, uh, you know, stayed now 3-5 and five in the conference, 14-7 and seven overall, 6-0 and oh on a neutral court, 8-2 and two at home. But you start running these numbers here and you begin to realize we're starting to run out of opportunities to really pad the resume. And, again, I think, th- again, things are going to ease up for us just a little bit you know, with the schedule once we get through this week. But uh, I hate when things seem so fragile. You know what I'm saying? I, that's kind of – I just – I hate that because, you know, you still got Kentucky coming to the hump and you've got to go to Auburn. And you get South Carolina coming in. That looks to be a bigger game than maybe we anticipated at the beginning of the year. But uh, th- there are no gimmies the rest of the way. I mean, you look again, you look at that Missouri game and you think, okay, that's one that we should be able to handle, but it's on the road. So you got to take it a game at a time. But uh, the Bulldogs let one get away last night. And again, all, all due respect to Ole Miss. I thought Chris Beard and those guys at times really kind of outcoached our staff because of the fact even when we made some defensive adjustments and gave them some trouble, they were able to respond. And, again, it just seemed like open look after open look. And that's what's so frustrating for a team that really prides itself on its defense. There was so much of that last night. There was so much wide open. And let's be honest, if Ole Miss had shot the basketball a little bit better, uh, those free throws at the end of the ball game don't even matter because I think there would have been enough separation in the game that they probably would have been comfortable in the final couple minutes. But, hey, give our kids some credit for not quitting and uh, one of those situations, too, where it looked like the game may get away from us. We got a lot of fight in this team. We just got to clean some things up. And that's the thing that I guess, if I'm going to be critical of anything, it's the fact that we have all these seniors and we're having midway through the SEC schedule, we're having to kind of figure some things out. You know, of course, there's always adjustments in season and in game and all that kind of stuff. I get that aspect of it. But when, as long as so many of these guys have played together, we shouldn't have as many of these kind of careless turnovers at times. So that's the probably that in free throw shooting, that drives me absolutely crazy. You know, listen, free throw shooting is, um, is something you can do on your own, right? And it's all about learning form, you know, and it's muscle memory and it's repetition. But free throw shooting should never be as bad as it's been consistently. It just, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's a coaching issue. It is. It simply is. 
again, you get your kids in your yard can go out there and shoot all day long and practice that. Not that you're ever going to be 100%, but to be as bad as we have been at times, it's just in many respects kind of inexcusable. And we're going to have a lot more games like this because Chris Jans is a coach that's going to keep us in the game. we got to make some shots uh, to get some wins. And when we do, it's a fun experience. But how many times have we seen games this year kind of get away from us late because either we miss bunnies around the rim or we miss our free throws? Got to be able to do a better job with that. And, again, I can understand if this was a young team, but it's not. This is not a young team. We've got to get things turned around. And, again, it's so funny how it works. I mean, you beat Auburn and you think, okay, anything is possible. Then you go lose to Ole Miss. And, listen, that, you know going on the SEC road, especially in a rivalry game, is a dicey proposition. We all know this. And so it wasn't like that, that was a gimme game by any stretch of the imagination. Again, this Ole Miss team is good. They're 18-3 and three now. You know, And, again, you look at the non-conference schedule, and you can try to pick it apart. But the bottom line is that no matter who they're playing, they're doing a good job winning with rare exception. And so tip of the cap to the Rebels. They get us. Hopefully we'll get them back when they, uh, when they come down here and we can get a split from them. But uh, the bottom line is no crying for me. Disappointment, for sure. Disappointed that we lost. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we got outplayed and got executed. And that's a difference in games like this between evenly matched teams. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. Blair's a guy that knows how to get things done. 23 years of experience in the industry, back-to-back-to-back years. Top 1% close ratio in the country. In the country. Not just in Wiggins. Not just in Pilahatchee. In the country. Recently made the move to to, uh, Priority One Mortgage. That's what happens when you're a closer. You're always in demand. And here's the deal, too. Many of you have had the dream of homeownership elude you. Maybe it's because you are a non-conforming borrower with an atypical property. I don't know. But here's the thing. Blair has seen it all and done it all. You're not going to shock him. This is a guy that knows how to formulate a plan to get you approved. And the best thing to do is to get pre-approved so you know exactly the price range you're looking for before you go out and hire a real estate agent. Simple as that. Get pre-approved. Go to CloseTheBlair.com. Or better yet, let me just give you his phone number directly to him. Not to a call center, not to a receptionist, directly to Blair. You can call or text today, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Blair is a Bulldog, a longtime season ticket holder in multiple sports. Has a place here. A great family. I like to keep business in the family whenever we can. That's not to say that Blair wouldn't do a great job. If you're a rival fan, I'm sure we may have some Ole Miss fans listening today to see if I'll grovel about uh, the ball game. But uh, listen, Blair is an equal opportunity lender. We'll do everything he can to get you to the closing table. Again, that's closeatblair.com. All right, you know, we did some Leonard Skinner covers yesterday, and I got to thinking, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, the uh, the cover of Mississippi Kid, I have rocked that so many times in the last 24 hours. I even shared it with Dana this morning. I said, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but she goes, oh, that's really good. It is really good. It is. It's inspired me, too. I need to get the guys in four-way stop to cover that, yeah, to do the rock version of Mississippi Kid. Incredible. Uh, one of my favorite artists of all time, and I suspect it's a case for everybody, is a prince. 
I, I love Prince, and uh, I was so sad when he passed away. I remember where I was when I got the news, and it just didn't seem real. 57 years old, uh, dies of a fentanyl overdose. He was having an opioid addiction problem. Gone far too soon. Far too soon. Uh, but not only did Prince have a big a lot of hits for himself, there are a lot of other people that had hits that Prince either wrote or produced or co-wrote or whatever. And so we're going to break those down today. Top 10 songs that were hits for other people that were written by Prince. Now, of course, many of these songs later on he performed himself. And uh, the list of Prince covers would take up a whole show. There are a lot of people out there. I mean, you can't find a lot of these things online or streaming platforms. A lot of people do these things live. Uh, you can't get Foo Fighters' uh, version of Darling Nikki, which is interesting. You can't get that. You can get, um, I don't know if you know this, but he wrote a song for Kenny Rogers. Did you know about that? Yeah. Wrote a song for Kenny Rogers. I believe it was on his 19th album. Kenny Rogers. Remember that, man? Remember Kenny Rogers for a while there? I mean, like, it seemed like everybody in the South wanted to have that beard and that feathered hair just to look like Kenny Rogers. He was a trendsetter. Incredible performer, too. But here are my top ten songs that Prince wrote that performed by somebody else. Not necessarily a cover, but sometimes like a song that he wrote for them. Number ten, it's When You Were Mine from Cindy Lauper. You probably weren't expecting that. And that's from her debut album, She's So Unusual. An incredible song, and she was an incredible performer, but she was also a bit of an, an agent provocateur in many respects because... You know, her look was very much uh, kind of shock value. And I, I don't know that she would have made it just on talent alone. because, and, I, and that's not to be disrespectful. But she came in the MTV era, and she was so marketable. Because, she, number one, she was an amazing singer. But, two, she looked good on video, even if you didn't necessarily find her attractive. right? Because she was so unusual, like the album says. She didn't look like young ladies at that time. And I think in many respects, she was a person of empowerment uh, for young ladies of our, of our generation. Number nine, to kind of flash forward a little bit, uh, the song Waiting Room was actually um, a Prince B-side and no doubt covered it and did a really nice job on it. And you can even hear some of the Prince influence even in the instrumentation of the song. Of course, Gwen Stefani, in many respects, a lot like Cindy Lauper, you know, many people kind of visualize her as the, uh, you know, the beautiful, you know, incredible songstress in the Don't Speak video. But a lot of her earlier stuff was um, her kind of kind of invoking the spirit of Cindy Lauper to kind of be a little bit different. She was a beautiful girl, still a beautiful woman with an incredible voice, but she had an edge to her image that I think, number one, led to some empowerment, but also, two, I think people... Wanted to see what she'd do next. Number eight. You guys may remember this artist from uh, the great song Toy Soldiers. It's Martika. You know, she used to be on, uh, I can't remember the name of the dance show. She used to be on this whole dance show that came on Nickelodeon, maybe. But anyway, it was kind of like a teenage version of American Bandstand. It was kind of predated, uh, you know, Club MTV with uh, Julie Brown, downtown Julie Brown. Love her. But uh, Martika was on this show and eventually became 
a recording artist. Now, she actually has a greatest hits album, and I, I think that's probably maybe ending a uh, record deal type deal because I mean, she didn't have that many hits. However, she had a huge hit with a former Prince song, a song that he wrote with her uh, called Love Thy Will Be Done. That's your number eight song today from Martika. Maybe dial up Toy Soldiers while you're at it. All right, number seven. I love the original. I do. And kind of like those Leonard Skinner songs, none of these Prince songs that are covered are better than the original. They're just not. But this one's really, really close. It's How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore from Alicia Keys. And her version of the song the way that she is able to perform this from her very soul, you can tell that the lyrics really resonate with her on a very personal level. And it almost feels like she wrote the song. An incredible rendition of How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore by Alicia Keys, who I think may be one of the best female vocalists in the last 30 years, if not longer. Just absolutely incredible. It just seems so effortless with her. Right, I mean, a lot of people go out there and sing her songs, and you can tell it's a bit of a push in their range. But Alicia Keys is just a natural performer and also a great songwriter. Number six, from the Graffiti Bridge soundtrack. Now, initially, this song was credited to Tevin Campbell, but Prince wrote and produced the track, and you can hear all that in the instrumentation. It was later corrected. And I think it was, when I say corrected, maybe that's the wrong term. But the song Round and Round, then you can hear Prince singing the uh, background vocal on this. It was Prince's way of trying to help Tevin Campbell get established. And so, again, initially on the T-E-V-I-N album, Tevin Campbell was like given a songwriting credit, but it, it, but it was a Prince song. It's Round and Round from Tevin Campbell, really our gateway song into Tevin Campbell. Number five, I had this on 45, and I know I'm dating myself, but uh, I bought this from um, Columbia Music, not not the uh, not Columbia House. I, I mean, I, I got those people too, but uh, you know, we had a music store in Columbia that uh, sold records, and uh, I, I, I won, like you had to listen to the uh, Dick Clark Top 40, and you had to call in. They would do this thing on WFFF, and you had to be the first caller with, like, you could say two songs in the top ten. I can't remember what the format was. But anyway, I won a couple times. And uh, I got the 45 for I Feel For You by Shaka Khan. I thought it was amazing. Even to this day, the song stands up. It's a Prince song. And uh, I watched an interview with him recently, and he talked about, you know, a lot of people hear these songs on the radio, and they think, oh, well, that's their song. It was a Prince song. Prince wrote the song, and then performed it later in his career as a regular part of his set. But I feel for you from Shaka Khan, number five. Number four, Prince actually uh, is credited as a co-writer here, but to read the interviews, much of this song was a Prince creation. Of course, he worked with uh, Jerome Johnson and Morris Day with the time, arguably the biggest hit of the time catalog on uh, Ice Cream Castles was the album. And uh, you may remember that uh, Morris Day and the time were Prince's rivals in the uh, movie The Purple Rain, which anytime it's on, I watch it. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. if I, I could be dog tired. I'll just go grab a Coke or something or an energy drink, and I'll just power through it because I just want to watch it again. And you say, but Steve, it's on demand 
You can watch it whenever you want to. Just something about stumbling upon those old movies that we grew up with that uh, when they come on, you think, you know what, I want to watch this. But Jungle Love from the time, number four. Number three, this song was originally recorded by Prince, and then it was covered by a band called The Christophers, but it became a huge hit. And again, the MTV era here, another band that was um, absolutely perfect for the MTV era, the Bangles. It's Manic Monday from the Bangles. And uh, we all had a crush on Susanna Hoffs, and many of us still do. I know some guys in my group text, that's, like she has, if she does anything, it's a birthday or whatever, people share it. Uh, she's a part of our youth, for sure. And we all know that old, uh, that look on Walk Like an Egyptian. But Manic Monday was a great, great track, even before the Bangles were a thing. But they took kind of an underappreciated Prince song and had a massive hit with it. Absolutely incredible rendition. Manic Monday for the Bengals. Now, we're down to the final two. You may be surprised at my number two. I don't think you'll be surprised at my number one. I think most people probably anticipate that's coming. But um, Sheila Esposito, an incredible performer. And she fit everything that Prince had going on. The fashion, the style, everything. And she was, in many respects, very different than Prince when it came to her musical background. And I think that was very intriguing for him. And he wrote the amazing song, The Glamorous Life, for Sheila E. That's your number two song on her debut album. And Prince is involved with a lot of stuff with her. Love Bazaar, everything. There was so much of that that he was trying to bring her along. And that's when you go back and look at so many of these songs, it was Prince lending his talent to helping other artists get established. And that was really the case here. Uh, the lyrics for The Glamorous Life are kind of words for living. They truly are. There's so much of that. that uh, I, I go back, I listened to it before I recorded the show today. There's so much of that that still holds up. And that's what great songwriters do is they write things that are timeless. You know, it talks about her. she wants to lead the glamorous life and your money only pays the rent. Love is forever and that's all your life. Love is heaven sent. It's glamorous. So lead the glamorous life. It, it's amazing. I mean, it really is. It's poetry to me. You may not be as big a fan of this song as I am, and maybe it's because I can play it on keys, but nevertheless, I absolutely love this track. I love Sheila E. Uh, it's like, in, and you go back and you begin to think about all the fashion and everything else. There are a lot of people in the 80s that were kind of a product of their look. Sheila Esposito, Sheila E., an absolutely beautiful woman an absolutely talented musician, and really kind of a next-level musician in many respects. You can tell that she gets so much joy from performing. Uh, follow her on socials. I do, and uh, she's always posting things, number one, not just her stuff, but interesting things that she finds musically when she travels, which I think is amazing. But, uh, again, it's too weird to think you go back and you hear a song from an artist that many people consider a one-hit wonder, and then here we are all these years later talking about her. Absolutely phenomenal. In the words of Ben Howen, artist. Number one, though, it's got to be nothing compares to you from Sinead O'Connor, which was a Prince song, and Prince, of course, uh, performed it later in his career. And you kind of had a clue when it was nothing compares to you with the two because Prince did a lot of that, you know, whenever he titled songs. But let's just kind of call it for what it is here. And God rest Sinead O'Connor's soul. She led a very tortured life in the end. But... Um, would you even know who Sinead O'Connor is today if it wasn't for this song? I mean, be honest with yourself. I mean, I'm not talking about the Emperor's New Clothes and all that kind of stuff. And I know that she was, in many respects, kind of considered 
a heat seeker in the beginning because she again she was different. You, know, you had all these uh, female artists in the '80s that were um, incredibly glamorous, and there's Sinead O'Connor with her shaved head and up there basically wearing you know like a Joan of Arc costume, and so she was kind of the anti glam artist and she just got by on her beautiful voice and uh you may not agree with your politics i don't agree with a lot of things that she did uh, but i'm also not in a position to judge other people for their beliefs but nothing compares to you is one of these incredible songs and it's so once we all found out that prince wrote it, it all kind of made sense but her performance of that song is incredible and uh prince there's some live versions out there that uh, will give you chills Absolutely amazing. And again, it's so incredible to think that Prince wrote so many hits for so many other people in addition to the ones he wrote for himself. And again, we could put a whole show together of uh, songs that were covered by other bands. And um, you know, I, I think um, that I could never take the place of your man. A lot of people have covered that. Uh, Bruno Mars did a cover of Let's Go Crazy. It, it's phenomenal. I mean, the people that respect Prince, and rightfully so, one of the most influential artists of my lifetime and in the history of American music. And he was a guy that just really transcended genres. And like in the beginning, they tried to kind of, you know, label him as just an urban artist and make him kind of a funk thing. That was a big thing back then, the kind of the segregation on the radio dial. And he came out with I Want to Be Your Lover and things like that. And it just was one of those songs that really crossed over. And everybody's like, this guy's got some real talent. I remember he got so criticized for going, showing up at the Grammys or the American Music Awards and he had on see-through pants and things like that. And people were like, oh, this is just outrageous. Until he took that stage. Amazing. And uh, a lot of people reference the uh, the guitar solo that he played in the old jam session on you know, My Guitar Gently Weeps. Uh, Prince was the real deal. A lot of people out there that are creations of record companies and you know, they're studio performers, but uh, Prince was the genuine article. And anytime we get a chance to celebrate Prince on this show, we want to do that. And I encourage you to turn your kids on to Prince. Maybe there's some songs out there that, that you thought were offensive, but nowadays, the way the world has changed, maybe you don't see it quite that way. But uh, nevertheless, there are some other songs out there that don't have a lot of innuendo in them that are just absolutely amazing songs. And again, you go back to that Purple Rain motion picture soundtrack. It was just one of those things. When that thing dropped, we'd already seen uh, you know, the When Doves Cry video and things like that. And then the movie was coming. But it was one of those moments where after hearing a couple of those songs, you simply had to go see the film. You just you felt like you had to. And uh, it's amazing. Of course, Apollonia is on there. And uh, he wrote the great song uh, Sex Shooter for her for Apollonia 6. And you can go all the way down the list. I mean, the same thing with Vanity. There were so many other people that he, that he worked with. Uh, Maserati, of course, some guys that were originally in uh, you know, Prince and Revolution. He kind of helped those guys get started. Then he you know, got rid of everybody and formed a new power generation. There was just so many artists that benefited from Prince uh, being such an inspiration. So there you go. That's your top ten list for the day. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out let us know. Best way to do that is on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days, hit up Roy at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, and you can find our great list on Spotify under that same handle. You can send a list to me. I'll do my best to get it back to Roy and um, 
we'll see what we can do for you. But uh, I appreciate it. And I've kind of been kind of pulled rank here the last couple of days. You know, we hadn't done a list in a while that somebody sent. It's been probably been a week or so. But uh, I was just kind of on this groove, wanted to share this. And again, anytime we can talk about Skinner and Prince and people like that, really icons of American music, we should. But again, thanks as always for your support of the Top 10 list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. They've been around forever and a day, and for good reason. It's because they provide you with the best selection of Mississippi State merchandise anywhere. Next time you're in Starkville, go by and see their smiling faces. Very neatly positioned on the backside of campus. Turn off 182 there at the the Trooper Station. We encourage you to uh, obey the posted speed limits as well. And just before you get to campus, right there on the left-hand side is Campus Bookmark. You probably are very familiar with that. Swing in there, pick up some new merch, wear it to the game. If you can't make it to town and you want to rep the Mississippi State brand out in a foreign land, perhaps the mission field outside of the great state of Mississippi, Visit them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. All right. Uh, we get a night off tonight from uh, Mississippi State Athletics. We ride back in action tomorrow night. So let's take some time to discuss the uh, upcoming game at Kentucky. And again, as I've said many times, we have taken some really good teams to Kentucky and come home with a loss. I don't think that'll be the case this year, but you never know. You never know. This Kentucky team hasn't played exceptionally well. Let's take a quick look at how they've gotten to this point. Uh, They opened up with a win over uh, East Tennessee State. They take down SC Upstate. Seems like everybody's playing those those, uh, SC Upstate teams but us. And then they had a five-game losing streak where they dropped games to Austin P, Florida Gulf Coast, NC State, who was ranked 10th at the time, now projected to be a one seed in the tournament. Uh, they lose at Colorado, and these games, most of these games not really competitive. Uh, they get Cincinnati at home and lose to them. So five-game winning streak, but two of those were top 10 opponents at the time. They bounced back at home and beat Boston College and Tennessee Tech and then drop to Minnesota and lose the rivalry game at Louisville, 73-68. Then they put together a kind of a modest four-game winning streak that included the SEC opener. They beat Furman, Lipscomb, Samford, and then Arkansas by 10. The sledding has been much tougher as of late, as they have now dropped five of the last six. They lose at Tennessee, 87-69. Vanderbilt gets them 95-73 in Lexington. And then 98-36 losers to South Carolina in Columbia. They play in the other Columbia out in Como and beat the Tigers 76-71. Somebody had to win, right? They lose at Arkansas, kind of a revenge game for the Lady Razorbacks. And they lose to Alabama this past Sunday, 91-74. So really not playing well. And that's going to be a 6 p.m. tip on the SEC Network Plus. You're going to have to watch it on your app. Go ahead and be thinking about that as you move forward. But um, it hasn't been a great year by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that's one of the things you look at. If you're Mississippi State, you got to find a way to win games like this. You have to win the games you're expected to win. And this is a game that we're expected to win, even though it's on the road. And let's be honest, the Mississippi State women have been a pretty good road team. They have been. Let's look inside some numbers now here for uh, the Lady Wildcats. 
it's uh, always interesting, too, that uh, they play such a premium on basketball up in the Commonwealth and on the women's side, too. You know, it's not like, okay, what's well, just the men and we're, we're going to play women's basketball because we have to. They're not having a good year this year, but Kentucky has had some pretty good te- teams over the last decade, as you guys are well aware. So uh, individual numbers, we'll wait a second here. They're getting outscored 73-65 to 65 on the year. That's one of those things you look at and say, well, it makes perfect sense when you're a losing team. Yeah, but, I mean, it's they're getting outscored by their opponents for just over eight points per game. Not shooting it well, 40% as a team, allowing 46%. Three-point shooting, not much better. Really not better at all. 27%. They're knocking down just uh, four and a half, three-point shots per game. Opponents are getting six and a half. The way State's been shooting the ball as of late, I'd expect that number to go up. Free throw shooting, not been a strong point either. Right at 64%. Opponents are shooting 74. There is no free throw defense. Uh, rebounding is interesting. They're getting out-rebounded here by uh, nearly 50 rebounds on the season. Pulling down 34 boards a game, allowing 36. So, again, the margin favors the opponent. And really, in every in every statistical category, that's the case for Kentucky. They're handing out a dozen assists per game. They're allowing right at 17. They're committing 16.5 turnovers a game. They're forcing 15.5. So, I mean, again, you run through this. I mean, guys, even steals and blocks are in favor of the opponents. Kentucky's got 130 blocks on the year. Opponents got 142 uh, steals, pardon me. On the blocks, Kentucky has 63 blocks and then have allowed 81. So really, in every aspect, in every statistical category, Kentucky is behind their opponents. All right, so uh, look at the numbers here. Uh, Two scores in double figures. Uh, A.J. Petty. 14.4 14.4 points per game, and then Matty Shearer, uh, 13.8. And uh, Matty has missed some games, but uh, Petty has played in all 21, started all 21 games. So, you know, ought to be familiar with her. She is uh, obviously the most prolific scorer they have. She has made 123 baskets. What is interesting about that dynamic is it is nearly as much it's the second and third most prolific shooters on the team. In many respects, it's a one-woman team. And you're not going to beat anybody in the Southeastern Conference, that aspect of it. But uh, Petty, uh, making it all happen down there in the post. Jessica Carter's going to need a big game. Uh, Petty with 303 points on the season. Uh, Maddie with 235. She is um, more of a three-point threat. Uh, Sanai Tyler, also uh, a three-point marksman. Or Mark's woman. I don't know how we say it, but uh, 65 made three-point shots between them, and as a team, they've only made 91. But uh, very interesting dynamic here. And again, we're getting a team that's really struggling. And uh, I think what's interesting too, somebody else mentioned. You look at all the players that have left, and maybe we do that on Friday show. The players that have left Mississippi State basketball to see what they're doing elsewhere. It goes to show you we did a really good job recruiting under Vic Schaefer. But uh, Kentucky gave Vic some trouble. And, again, much better teams back then. But uh, when you start looking at all the scoring stuff, you really begin to ask yourself, 
where will the points come from for Kentucky? Especially if Jessica Carter can have a decent game in the post. I mean, it's almost like you, you let's let them shoot the low percentage shot because the chances that they're making it are pretty slim. Very, very, very slim. Uh, so n- not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. And you start working through all this and you begin to kind of realize that, um, you know, we're in the heat of things now. And so we had the big win on Monday, give us a chance to kind of come out of the clouds a little bit. And I think going on the road is a good thing after a game like that. It gives you a new renewed sense of focus. Uh, Kentucky, 9-12 and 12 on the year and 2-5 and five in the Southeastern Conference. They are 9-3 and three at home. They have not won a single game away from the University of Kentucky campus. They're 0-9, 6 in true road games and 3 in neutral court games. So all nine of their wins have come at home. And again, you look at these ball games, you know, the quality of competition is just simply not there. It's just not a great team, uh, and it hadn't been a very challenging schedule. And even with that, it's a different dynamic. Now, this game is going to be played in Rupp Arena. There have been uh, several games over the years that have been played in their other complex. Uh, I guess it's the Clive Beck Center. But uh, we're going to be in the big house. And so if you're in that area and you're considering going to the game, we encourage you to go. Again, 6 p.m. tip, and uh, a game that State should absolutely win. And uh, looking quickly back at the uh, – you know, we get so caught up in what's happening with us sometimes, you know, we, we kind of forget, you know, kind of what's just going on. But, uh, again, we're off tonight. No women's games on the tab in the Southeastern Conference. Of course, State plays at Kentucky. And uh, Tennessee is at Georgia. Ole Miss is at Vanderbilt. That could be an interesting game for sure. Vanderbilt's been playing well. Ole Miss, uh, big win over Tennessee over the weekend. South Carolina's at Auburn. Auburn's another team, too, that um, we all know Johnny Harris well. And the Tigers at times have kind of impressed. Uh, you know, they had the big win over LSU, too. And then Alabama's at Arkansas. But uh, a lot of people have asked me, you know, you know see, what do you think about what's going to happen at Auburn? I don't know. They're 14-6 and six right now and 3-4 and four in the league. And, uh, you know, a lot of discussion about, you know, what would happen. You know, if they if they made a change there. And obviously, yeah, Purcell would be on their wish list. I mean, he's got a lot of ties to Auburn. I th- to be honest with you, I think that's probably one of the only jobs that Sam may leave for. It's because it's a chance to go home. And I think the fact that we're playing so well probably says that um, that's a commitment that they'll have to decide they want to make. But, uh, no, nah, I think Sam's done a great job. And uh, I think we feel like we're headed in the right direction. We want to continue to head in the right direction. You know, so we really don't want to make a coaching change. We'd hate to see him leave. But, uh, you know, how how committed is Auburn to women's basketball? Does Johnny Harris win enough this year to hang on? Possibly. I, I would think things are trending in that direction. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, they're going to probably get killed uh, tomorrow night by South Carolina, and everybody does. That's not a barometer of your program, you know, how well you do against South Carolina because they're just at another level right now. But how are you doing against your contemporaries? And that's the thing that I think is very important to look at. And uh, real quickly here, we'll look at uh, you know, look at the standings. It's because of the fact that uh, you know, it matters. But, uh, you know, we want to be in the top half of the league. Right now we are. Tied for fifth place in the league. And, again, I think best case for us is, you know, maybe we get into the top four 
And uh, we're going to need some help to get there. I mean, we're, not, we're, we're only one game out of second. But there's some people ahead of us that have already defeated us that we're going to need uh, some tiebreakers over. So we need, we need those teams to lose, right? But looking behind us, you know, it's like you think about, the, you know, what's coming up in the schedule. I mean, you know, Kentucky, you know, down there tied for 11th. Is that right? 11th place? They're two and five in the conference. But uh, you begin to kind of break this thing down and you look at, a, who, you know, who's coming in, what do we have next. You know, Missouri has struggled. Georgia has struggled. We have all those teams to play, games we have to win. And I've said it many times that once we get through this LSU uh, matchup this past Monday, that things kind of begin to ease for us a little bit. And, again, I like to kind of look at the – the season in these four-game quadrants, you know, just because of the fact that uh, I think it's a pretty pretty good barometer of the quality of competition you're facing and then how they're playing right now. That's an important part of it, too, because, you know, it's a different team at different various points of the year. So you get this road game at Kentucky, which, you know, you should be able to win. I don't think there's much question about that. And then you go to A&M. That's going to be a difficult one. And then you get Georgia here. You ought to be able to win that one. And then Florida here. So you start thinking, we ought to be able to get three of those four. And for those of you that like to plan ahead, February 18th, it's a Sunday, Mississippi State women are going to be at Ole Miss. And I'm sure you saw Coach Yo supporting the Ole Miss Rebels last night, as you should. I know it always uh, elicits some emotions from Bulldog fans when they see her. But, uh, hey, you know. When you win, you get to talk. That's how it works. That's how it works. But, yeah, this is an important stretch for State. And, um, again, you think about how we're going to close this thing out. After that old missed road trip, you got Kentucky coming in here, kind of playing out the string. Alabama comes in here. Then we go to Auburn, and then Missouri uh, comes in. So, again, schedule really kind of easing up for the Bulldogs, but – there's not a game on here right now I think you look at and say, okay, that's a sure loss. I don't think anybody feels that way. But there are some games against some of our contemporaries, teams that are kind of similarly situated as us. You know, we've got to do really well against Arkansas, A&M, Alabama, Auburn, Florida. You could kind of throw them in there too. You know, Florida's faded a little bit, you know, 11-8 and eight overall. But we're in a pretty good position. And I think a lot of people now understand too that this Mississippi State team is for real. This isn't a Mississippi State team. It's just kind of getting bound, you know, one or two players. Uh, we're beginning to really see some of our veteran leadership stand up. That's an important aspect of every bit of this, is being able to see your best players play their biggest ball in the biggest moments. And there are going to be some big moments to come. And I think the big one over LSU, obviously, uh, will inspire us to continue to play hard. The buy-in is so much easier, right? It's like – it's one thing when you're selling a promise, but now Sam Purcell can sell production. Much different dynamic. It's like, it's not, hey, this is what we're going to do. It's like, this is what we're doing. And what we're doing is working. So continue to keep your head down and work hard. Uh, I think that's the big story from LSU, from beating LSU. It's like, you know what, hey, you guys, you ladies, have put in the work, and now you're reaping the benefits. So our goal wasn't just to beat LSU. Our goal is to get back into the NCAA tournament and make a run at this thing. You know, are we a national championship contender? No, we're not. But can we make it out of the first weekend of the tournament? I think we can. A lot of it depends on matchups. But, uh, again, I think in many respects 
you see it like I see it, is that we are trending in the right direction. We got the right coach, and uh, he's recruiting at a really good level right now. And so now we just kind of continue to work hard. And now you got to go take care of business on Thursday night against uh, Kentucky. Again, a, a Kentucky team that is simply not good. We got to go up there and play well, get the dub, come home, get ready for the next one. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Just Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse. It's that easy. Google is your friend. It may not be the friend that it used to be, but it's still your friend. It's the easiest way to access information. Google the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Their Facebook page will come up. You'll be able to check out the amenities that are available to you. Because here's the deal. If you're bringing a large group to Starkville, you would be foolish to go out and get five hotel rooms. You just would be. It's the, the expense itself is the main reason why. But number two, wouldn't it be better to have some communal areas for people to work or to congregate, whether you're bringing a work group to town or you're bringing your family to town. Maybe it's a staycation. Maybe all the guys are getting together. Maybe all the girls are getting together. I don't know your needs, but I know this, that if you're wanting to spend some time in Starkville, why not have this great house, the former clubhouse at the old country club, available to you. It's got that wet bar. It's got great living areas. It's got that great back porch. It's got a fire pit, five bedrooms, a couple baths. And you can go in there and just have a good time. We don't want you getting too loud. We still got some neighbors around there. But the reality of it is, is that it's just economically feasible. And it just makes better sense to have everybody under one roof. If you're a work group, say, hey, we've got these areas here. We can all work and then retreat to our quarters in the evening and be able to relax and get some rest. So, again, whether you're bringing a work group or bringing a group into town for a ball game weekend or whatever, look no further than the Stark Vegas Clubhouse, and we're going to save you a little money. When you Google it, it's going to give you the option to book through Airbnb, the VRBO. If you book through the Evolve website, though, we can save you some money. How about that? Use promo code BSR10. That's right, BSR10. to save 10% off your stay at the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. All right. Some more news out there. You know, we've talked about the NIL a lot, and there is a lot of NIL fatigue. But as we've mentioned last week, you're starting to see some NIL enforcement. And now the NCAA is getting some blowback. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention, and I want to get too deep down the the road here before I mention this, the uh, Tennessee and Virginia attorney generals are kind of uh, having this collaborative effort, and they're going to have a uh, filing for a TRO to prevent the NCAA from enforcing its NIL policy. Now, there's a few things that I'll say about that. Number one, the problem that I have with all of this is it's the it's the university presidents that vote for these things. You know, it's like, so when you sue the NCAA, you're kind of suing yourself. But the way that these state enforcement people are, it's like, hey, you know, it impacts our state-funded institution. And so we get a say in all this. But it's so interesting when you look at the dynamics of all of this, NCAA institutes a rule, somebody breaks the rule, and then they say, okay, well, we're going to go enforce the rule here. Oh, we'll just sue you. I got a couple problems with that. Uh, the first thing that I'll say is that we all kind of agree these are the rules about what we play by, right? You, you don't have to play for the NCAA. You can always go NAIA or whatever. You don't have to do that. But this is a voluntary organization, and that language is always rather interesting because it's basically saying, hey, if you're playing with us, you're playing by our rules. And then all of a sudden, when they begin to enforce said rules, all of a sudden we want to go litigate things. Now, I understand that's how the world works through the court system. It is. 
But it's so interesting to me that I see the Tennessee governor come out in support of these measures. Again, the attorney general's involved here. And I just want to know, and I'm sure somebody will, will message me um, and plead their case, but why did nobody stand up for Jaquarius Spivey in Mississippi State? Where was our state leadership when that was all going on? Now, of course, there has been a change because of the court rulings regarding transfers, and I understand Mississippi State has filed for reconsideration. We are optimistic it's going to work out. There's a, there's a chance. I won't say it's a good chance. There's a chance that Jaquarius Spivey gets to play football for Mississippi State in 2024. There's a chance. The wheels are moving. And, you know, with all these restrictions right now and now all these uh, TROs and things like that that are out there trying to limit the NCAA's ability to enforce its own rules. So, you know what? Hey, there are no longer any transfer restrictions. Hey, there's no longer any NIL restrictions. And so it makes sense that Jaquarius Spivey, that we would file on his behalf for reconsideration. And he should be granted. I mean, you, you had the whole Walker case in North Carolina – and that case was more complicated than Spivey's. But the NCAA simply wouldn't budge on that. And that's the thing. you got a young person here, through no fault of his own, is ineligible to play. It's not like he uh, didn't make his grades. It's not like he was a cancer in the locker room. And listen, Ja'Cory Spivey is he's not a difference maker for us. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a difference in us winning and losing ball games, But... That, that's all the more reason that there should have been greater support for Mississippi State and Jaquarius Spivey against the NCAA here. Because he is a model student athlete, and he's not a star player. And that's not being critical of Jaquarius. My point being is that it, isn't that what government's there for? To protect us? My dad worked for the federal government for 33 years. And one of the things that he said, in many respects, he was very, very anti-government about some things because of all the money that we waste. But he asked me one day a question, and I didn't, I didn't have a great answer to it, and he gave me the answer. He said, what is the number one function of government? What is the number one function of government? And I'm not going to get real political with you here, but the number one function of government is the defense of its citizens against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, that takes on a number of of venues, does it not? I mean, of course, you know, if somebody certainly attacked the United States, I mean, the federal government's got a responsibility to defend us. It could be through the Food and Drug Administration, right? you got to make sure that people aren't out there putting, you know, products on the shelves that are harmful uh, to the citizens. You know, there's all these regulations involved to make sure that our food is safe and things of that nature. And so that's part of the defense of our citizens. And when you have a situation like this, where you have somebody that is not being treated fairly, I think that also falls under the purpose of government, to defend its citizens. And I really am disappointed that, uh, and I don't know who's responsible, I'm not going to name any names or anything like that, or, or cast any aspersions or, or throw shots at people. And maybe it works out better for Jaquarius Spivey in Mississippi State if things work out and his waiver is approved and he plays this year. Maybe that's better for Mississippi State. But it's one of those things that I look at and I see all of these other state governments that are involved in the fight for the protection of student-athletes. 
And where were our people when Jaquarius Spivey had to sit out? Where were they? And I know that I've got some friends in the state legislature. It's true. I do. A lot of great bulldogs in the state legislature. A lot of people working in state government that love Mississippi State. Uh, but I would argue that it wouldn't really matter if this was a student at Ole Miss or Southern Miss or whatever. I, I think the state government, when you see what everybody else is doing and you see what North Carolina did to get Walker approved, North Carolina was basically out there ready to go to war. And they got their guy approved. And, again, the details around his case were more complicated than the one of Spivey. And if you know the NCAA is going to fold, why aren't you calling their bluff? And so, you know, we can go back and do a you know course on Mississippi history, and we can go back into, uh, you know, the 1940s and 50s when Ole Miss and Mississippi State were, were treated differently uh, by our state government. We, we can. You know, it, it doesn't change anything about today. But I'm disappointed. I, I am disappointed when I see so many people involved in state government in other states that are working hard in the defense of its citizens, and we didn't do that. And maybe there's something that I don't know, but I know that all this saber-rattling that we've seen you know, with North Carolina and Tennessee and Virginia and other states kind of led me to believe that um, maybe that's the way to do it. You know, in the past, sometimes at Mississippi State, that uh, we're the kinds of folks that, you know, we don't want to upset anybody. I'm not cut from that cloth. Maybe you are. I don't suspect you are. But I think when we elect people into positions of power, that they have a right and responsibility to look after our interest as well. And if you're a Mississippi State person, you voted for somebody and said, hey, I'm a Mississippi State person. That's part of who I am. I, you know, I'm a season ticket holder. I'm a donor or whatever. And then if my institution is being unfairly penalized, I think you've got an obligation on my behalf as my representation to ensure that's not the case. Just my little soapbox for today. Now, all that I understood, what's happening in Tennessee is rather interesting. And uh, I think, again, it's going to be years before all this stuff is settled. But it's so interesting that so many people out there, it's like, okay, this is Tennessee has been announced that they're under investigation for NIL stuff. Now, my friend Tom Mars is involved on the defense side of this uh, with the collective. That was an, maybe not collective. Maybe it was an NIL agency. And uh, so there's a lot that's going to unfold here in the days to come. But it's so incredibly interesting to me that, you know, the NCAA as a volunteer organization can't enact and then enforce its own rules anymore. It used to be, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do? And Mississippi State, if you recall, under the Bob Tyler administration and the Larry Gillard affair and all the Muskelly um, clothing store there in Oklahoma and all that stuff that went on, you know, we took it to court too. And we got a TRO and we played him. And then ultimately the NCAA, not only did they penalize us and make us uh, you know, forfeit some games, it really derailed the program for a while. And it was almost unprecedented, you know, back in those days. You know, it, just, it was nuts. And I got some stuff that I've uncovered, too, on the Ole Miss side when um, they had some players, uh, football players, back in the 19, in the teens, that uh, they felt that the SEC office at the time, 
I think we were called the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association. They had deemed some players ineligible, and they took those same steps. It didn't work out for them. It didn't work out for us. But it appears to be working now. And there's so much money out there being thrown around, not just the NIL money, but I'm just talking about TV deals and things like that. And the NCAA, of course, makes a, a fortune on the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And so I don't even think this is about money. I don't think that the state of Tennessee or Virginia is out for money. I don't think they want any compensation. I think they want the rules to change. And I I don't know enough about the pleadings at this point to be able to tell you which side of this I'm on. But I do think it's very interesting that as soon as there is some level of enforcement, there are some people out there that just immediately spring to it and uh, they're saying, hey, we're going to use this as a conduit to bring change, period. And again, I understand that's how the world works and how the laws are made. But you just had last week the Florida State negotiated resolution. They admitted what they did was wrong. It was a violation of the NCAA rules and they've accepted those sanctions. Well, what happens now? Now, you've already accepted a negotiated resolution, so you can't come back later and say, hey, we were unfairly criticized or we were unfairly targeted. You've already accepted the sanctions and admitted to the conduct. Much different dynamic, right? But now, if the Tennessee and Virginia attorney generals have their way, a lot of this NIL enforcement stuff it's kind of put on a back burner for a while. So maybe Florida State accepted it quicker than they should have. Or maybe they can argue now that it's not enforceable. Because if it's not enforceable for one, it shouldn't be enforceable for anybody. Like if Florida State's got to be sanctioned for this because they didn't go fight it, and then Tennessee decides to fight it, and then they're going to get out of being sanctioned, there has to be a uniform policy for every bit of that. And again, that's the whole part of government, right? We talk about the defense of our citizens. That's why it's so important that we have some federal oversight in this deal. Because you can't have state laws that vary as much as the NIL stuff does, and then all of a sudden when, when everybody gets to, uh, to begin to enforce the rules, they say, well, that's a violation of our state law. And so it seems to me like there is this huge, and I hate to use the term civil war, uh, but let's just say there is this war between the states and the NCAA. And we always talk about the, the end of the NCAA, the end of that. The NCAA is always going to exist in some form or fashion. But I think it's pretty fair to say we're about to see some pretty serious changes in college athletics. And I think one of the most simple things that could happen is instead of asking our fans – around the country to bankroll all this stuff is you need to find a way to bring the schools in and let the players get paid as part of the TV deal. One of the things that we're finding, and uh, I can't remember where I read this. I can't remember, but it's, it was about a Southeastern conference school and uh, they've had to delay some facility enhancements because they haven't been able to raise the money for it. And then the question was, well, why not? What's well, because that money has been targeted for NIL. So a lot of those, you know, big name donors in the past that you would say, hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna redo the practice fields. We need that check. Well, that, those checks have already been written for NIL. 
And so I think that's one of the things that maybe a lot of people forecasted in the beginning of NIL is that the, that the, the facilities war is probably over in many respects. I mean, obviously you want to make your fan amenities uh, and your, your stadium and things like that, those things, because you got to take care of your donors, right? But how many players right now are picking a school because of the quality of an IPF? How many school players are picking a school because locker room? It's not many. How many are picking a, a school over a stadium? I'd say not very many. A lot of players out there picking a school because of NIL. So how do you combat that? Well, you start redirecting funds to where it benefits you the most. And we're seeing that left and right. That's not to say that we're not doing some good things on facilities. We are. we got a master plan. But the problem is I think there is a lot of donor fatigue out there. It's like every time you turn around, listen, we have some very wealthy people that love Mississippi State. And for, for generations, we kind of depended on the same five or six families to kind of bankroll everything of value. You know, we'd give a little money to the Bulldog Club so we could in, in, increase our, uh, our priority for tickets. And we're seeing Mississippi State fans give more than they ever have. And I give Dr. Keenan a lot of credit for that too. You know, because not just on the athletic side, it's on the academic side. You know, we, we've done a really good job building our endowment. But how many times do we expect these uh, the same families to write the check? It's, oh, we need this money for this new uh, residence hall. We need the money for this and that. You know, at some point, the money runs out. And there's some people out there that are very generous and also very successful that have helped carry us for a long time. And so I think now when you begin to think about What's next for fundraising? There are a lot of fans out there just like, you know what, I'm just going to give my money to the engineering school because I don't like the, the landscape of college athletics right now. And while in the past I may have written a check to maybe get my dad's name, you know, on a building or something like that or on a gate, I don't know that I want to do that anymore. And so I think we're kind of at a, a dangerous place with how we're handling donors. I don't mean Mississippi State. I'm just talking about college athletics as a whole. I read it all the time on social media, and I read it on our message boards. I have people that will say, you know, I'm about done with college sports. I'm about done with college sports. And I don't know that the leadership of college athletics fully appreciates that, truly. And I think that's the important thing about uh, a lot of our you know, non-revenue-producing sports. We call them equivalency sports. You know, a lot of those student-athletes are having to pay their way. And uh, I touched on that a couple of days ago in an article I wrote after uh, we had a chance to sit down with Samantha Ricketts, women's, I mean, softball coach at Mississippi State. And I had an agenda. I went in there. I just wanted to hear – because obviously we've had some success at Briley St. Clair – not only is a uh, is a good softball player, but also she's become a bit of a social media sensation and done a great job on the NIL landscape. But it's a, when you go talk to those coaches and those student athletes, it's a completely different deal, completely different deal. Like you don't have those student athletes going in there demanding, "Hey, if I don't get twenty five thousand dollars today, I'm transferring." You don't have that, and it's so interesting that it's the crux of the NIL money is going to players that are already going to graduate debt-free. 
They're in headcount or sports, so they're getting full scholarships. In addition to that, they're getting their monthly stipend. And now on top of that, NIL compensation. And you look at the flip side of it, many of your track, your golf, your baseball, your softball, your soccer players are having to pay to play. While their peers who happen to just excel in another sport are getting paid to play. I think that's something that we need to look into. And I think that litigation is probably on the horizon. It's true. And I think a good faith argument can be made that because of the fact that a person excels in one sport rather than another, that there could arguably be some discrimination against that. And they could say, well, you know, it's, Steve, it's a capitalist society. Well, yeah, I agree with that aspect of it too. But the amateurism model has been completely thrown out of it. But uh, what we have now is absolutely crazy. And again, it's the inaction of the NCAA and Mark Emmert that has caused this thing to happen. And they're trying to get it turned around. So now all of a sudden you're seeing an overcorrection from the NCAA. And now you're getting blowback from the states. And again, we go back to the defense of our citizens. You know, if you, as a college athletics fan, whether it be baseball, basketball, whatever, the quality of your experience is being diminished. And now these are first world problems, don't get me wrong. But the thing that I begin to wonder is, is where does the litigation stop? Where does it become a situation where we all agree, okay, these are the rules. This is what we're all going to abide by. This is what we're all going to play for. And then in turn, the fact that you're having to help bankroll some of this, I think makes you an investor. And maybe perhaps there's a case for that. All right, if you hadn't done so, go to whenthebottomfalls.com. You can order the new book. Uh, the new book, of course, is When the Bottom Falls. People forget that uh, it's only been out now a couple months, but um, still on the bestseller list. Thank you very much for that. And uh, while you're there, you can pick up all of my sports titles. That's Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, Flim Flam, and Dogpile. And every Bulldog fan deserves a copy of Dogpile, whether you read or not. You need to have that thing up on your bookcase, and one day you'll be sitting around one day and so you know what? I want to go back and relive the NAFL championship, and you do. Uh, working on the new one now, uh, The Dude, The Life and Times of Duty Noble. Did some interviews yesterday with some more of his family, and uh, already gotten some writing done. Uh, my hope is to finish up Chapter 1 uh, this week. And uh, by the end of baseball season, we hope to have everything done and pushed on to editing. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to be a 75,000 or 85,000 word book. It may come in somewhere closer to 65. You know, we'll see. It kind of depends on what all else I uncover. But uh, we're, we're at a spot now we can really do some writing. But the, the issue with, you know, as far as his career as a, you know, as an AD and as a coach and as a player, a lot of that stuff's already well documented. And so it's easier to find information about that. But how do you recreate somebody's childhood when everybody that was alive then is gone, right? That's the difficult part of it. So we're kind of dependent on like some, some family stories and things like that. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Look forward to you guys reading it. I can't wait uh, to get deep into this process. But it's been a lot of fun already just doing the research. And uh, appreciate so many people that have reached out and uh, offered their well wishes with this. And uh, it is a very challenging undertaking, but it's something I take very seriously and consider it an honor. But let's get out of here. And uh, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, always go to StarkVillains.com and come join us over jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Nobody covers Mississippi State as thoroughly as we do. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.